0: Hi everyone, Griffin Marie here and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves Podcast channel. It's Friday, which means it is time for the week in review and preview. Our conversation today will focus on the Federal Reserve's policy meeting earlier this week with implications for equity markets alongside other risk factors for U.S. stocks. So I am excited to be joined today by Matt Tormey, an Associate Equity Strategist with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Matt, it's great to be with you once again and looking forward to our conversation.
1: Great to be with you too, Griffin. Good morning, UBS.
0: Well, Matt, we had a very busy week on the macro calendar, but the biggest story in markets this week was the FOMC meeting that wrapped up on Wednesday. What are some notable takeaways from the Fed's updated policy statement and uh, Chairman Powell's presser afterwards?
1: Yeah, so the FOMC meeting was certainly the highlight of the week. And it did come with some surprises that led to broader market weakness over the past few days. And um, even today, it looks like we might open up a negative Tory, but um but overall policy was left unchanged and did come in in line with expectations we did see a few tweaks to the policy statement as the fed acknowledged vaccine progress has driven a decrease in covid19 infections and will continue to reduce the effects of the pandemic on the economy But the surprise came from the Fed's dot plot and Fed Chair Powell's comments that suggested tapering and rate hikes could start sooner than expected, which led to a spike in the 10-year Treasury rate intraday on Wednesday. So if we look back to the Fed's dot plot back in March, it had indicated that 11 of the 18 FOMC members didn't expect any rate hikes through the end of 2023. And what changed on Wednesday was now that there were only five members that didn't expect any rate hikes by the end of 2023, and the median dot implied two hikes by then, which came as a surprise to most economists and can be viewed as being more hawkish. So we believe there are three main factors that can help explain the rise in dots. First, inflation has surprised to the upside, as evidenced by the upward revision to the Fed's inflation forecast for this year. Second, we've seen longer run inflation expectations rise to levels more consistent with the Fed's 2% target. And third, the great progress we have made on the vaccination front has led to a sharp decrease in infection since the March meeting, which could mean that economic conditions will be more appropriate for rate hikes next year or in 2023. And following the release of the dot plot in policy statement, Fed Chair Powell did have his press, cr- press conference where he did mention that progress towards their goals was discussed and language suggesting it was too early to start talking about tapering should be dropped. And in addition, he even took it a step further and said that a tapering plan could be announced at an upcoming meeting. So as I mentioned earlier, a couple surprises including advice in the dots and fed chair Powell's comments that suggested tapering could happen sooner rather than later were a few notable takeaways from the FOMC meeting.
0: Great, Matt. And you mentioned the updated policy statement there. Now, how does the Fed's increased inflation expectations and guidance on its monetary policy stance inform your outlook on U.S. equities?
1: So our outlook on U.S. equities does remain constructive over the next six to 12 months, as our year-end and June 22 S&P 500 price targets suggest 4% and 8% upside, respectively, from here. And we view the market's reaction as relatively mild, given the futures market seemed to already be expecting lift-off for rates in 2023. So you can think of it as the Fed somewhat marking the market, and now equity markets do get the policy that it probably deems to be more appropriate. With equities, we saw a pretty sharp sell-off in value and the most cyclical sectors yesterday as. Investors may have been crowded in particular groups and positioned for an inflation overshoot, and they're now readjusting their portfolios accordingly. But bigger picture, we don't really believe this event changes our overall outlook for equities. We continue to expect further gains throughout the course of the year, and the factors that have been driving equities over the past year will continue to do so, such as the negative impacts of the pandemic winding down, supportive fiscal and monetary policy, and positive surprises on the earnings front and it's still our fixed income team's belief that longer term rates will rise over the course of the year and this should benefit value stocks as well as more cyclical sectors which is in line with our preferences for discretionary financials energy and industrials
0: matt what are some other notable risk factors uh, for stocks going forward yeah so
1: there are probably a few risk factors that we're going to be keeping an eye on First and foremost is if current pandemic trends that have supported the reopening do reverse course. Uh, right now, this doesn't seem to be a major issue here in the U.S., but globally, we are seeing the Delta variant delay the reopening process in some countries. So for example, earlier this week, England extended its pandemic restrictions after I had planned to lift all restrictions on June 21st. And just yesterday, the U.K. in general reported its most COVID-19 cases in one day since mid-February, likely being driven by the Delta variant. So although we still see the reopening process globally as in line with our CIO's base case, current pandemic trends will be something we need to keep an eye on. Another risk could be if the market's convinced that Everything has peaked along the lines of growth rates, inflation rates, and interest rates, because in this scenario, we most likely see a shift in market leadership away from the reopening winners and the reflationary trade. But right now, we don't think this is the case, as we do expect rates to rise throughout the course of the year and for economic growth to remain healthy and elevated. And one last risk that I'll mention involves the current status of the infrastructure bill in Washington, So we still do expect the bill to get done, although it looks like the range of possible outcomes has widened recently, and there is still a small risk that nothing gets done. But in upcoming weeks, we think progress will be made as negotiations pivot away from a bipartisan approach to the path of reconciliation, and this could potentially result in $2 trillion of spending and $1 trillion of tax increases.
0: So Matt, outside of the FOMC meeting, which we focused on for today's call, we received some important economic calendar items, including retail sales this week. What are some of the key takeaways from the data?
1: Yeah, so you're right, Griff. Uh, that FOMC meeting was the highlight of the week, but there were still plenty of important data points that can help us gauge where we are in the economic recovery. I don't have much to touch on for Monday, but on Tuesday, retail sales in May declined by a little more than 1% month over month which was a bit worse than what consensus was expecting, but we did see an upward revision for April. And some of the strongest categories included spending on clothes and restaurants, while a few of the weaker categories were in durable goods, which had been major beneficiaries of stimulus check spending. On inflation, the producer price index increased by just shy of 1% in May, which was a bit above consensus with some of the largest increases coming from energy and food prices. Also, this did bring the year-over-year rate to 6.6%, which is the highest on record. On housing, the NHAB housing market index declined slightly below consensus for June, although it did remain at a very high level, suggesting sentiment for the U.S. single-family housing market remains strong. We also received the latest reading on the Empire State Manufacturing Index, which declined by more than expectations for June. But looking ahead, firms continue to be optimistic that conditions would improve over the next six months. And finally, industrial production rose by 0.8% over the month in May, reflecting strong increases in motor vehicle and parts manufacturing. On Wednesday, outside of the FOMC meeting, We did receive additional data on the housing market, which showed us that building permits declined by more than expected, while housing starts increased by almost 4% over the past month, but this was also below expectations. And finally, turning to yesterday, initial jobless claims increased last week, while consensus was expecting a decline, and this does break a six-week streak of declining claims. Additionally, we also saw continuing jobless claims tick up while expectations were for a decline. And lastly, the Philadelphia Fed Manufacturing Index fell slightly, which was in line with expectations, but the overall composition of the report was a bit mixed as we saw increases to both the employment and shipments components, but a decline in new orders.
0: So, Matt, uh, we appreciate the recap of the week that was, but as investors prepare for next week, what what should they be watching for?
1: So, next week's economic calendar is, again, pretty busy, so diving right into it. On Tuesday, we'll receive an update on existing home sales for May, as well as the latest reading for the Richmond Fed Manufacturing Index. Moving on to Wednesday, more data on housing, as we'll see the final May reading for building permits, as well as new home sales. We'll also get a preliminary reading for June on manufacturing and services activity with market PMIs. Turning to Thursday, the final first quarter GDP reading will be published. We'll also see a preliminary reading on durable goods orders for May and the latest update on manufacturing activity for the Kansas City Fed Index. And to close things out on Friday, we'll get updates on personal spending and personal income and we'll receive the latest reading for the University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Index.
0: Awesome, Matt. A great conversation today, as always, uh, on what's been another fascinating week in the markets. Uh, Thank you for joining us and sharing your insights, and we look forward to having you back on sometime soon. Thanks, Griffin. Have a great day, everyone. You too, Matt. And again, we have been joined today by Matt Tormey, an associate equity strategist with the UBS Chief Investment Office. And as a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can be located on UBS.com CIO. For clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you'd like to learn more about or receive a copy of any of the publications and blogs directly. Now, Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes and Spotify. Visit ubs.com studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the UBS trending video series. So from UBS studios, I'm Griffin Marie, and thank you for joining us.
2: Advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward forward slash CIO dash disclaimer.